If you're watching from home, welcome. My name's Mark. If you're here as a guest or you've been coming recently, we haven't met yet, thanks for doing that. My name's Mark, and I get to serve as one of the elders in our church, but also on staff, and it's my privilege to bring the sermon this morning. And um, we're interrupting our normally scheduled sermon from Galatians 3, and this morning we're going to have a sermon from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. So let me just explain a little bit about why we're making this change. Back in the fall, the elders had just a sense of leading from the Holy Spirit that we should call the church to a week of prayer and fasting. And we're right here at the end of that week, as you just heard a few minutes ago. As uh, Donnie and and Karen and, and Edward were explaining, we were having a time of prayer and fasting, not because there's a crisis or we have some big decision to make, but we really wanted to just draw near to God and increase in our hunger for him and for his purposes. And so last Sunday, I preached from Mark chapter 2, where Jesus talks to his disciples about fasting, and he explains that after he ascends, he expects that his disciples are going to fast. Fasting simply is the voluntary abstaining from food or other significant things for spiritual purposes. And so the the talking about fasting and, and planning for a week of prayer and fasting has been really helpful, and it's been really revealing, and I think for a lot of us, it's helping to realize You know, there's not a lot of fasting going on, not a lot of fasting going on in our church, not a lot of fasting going on in the body of Christ, not a lot of books being written about fasting, articles, messages, and and, and so on. There's sort of an x-ray revealing there's a, a hole in this aspect of our discipleship. As I mentioned last week, I began to realize, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I fasted regularly, and in my 50s and 60s, I've hardly fasted at all. And so I'll be honest, I've, I was a little nervous about getting going, trying to fast again, and it'd been a long time, and I was kind of worried, was I going to be able to do that? And I really appreciated doing this together and sort of that, that nudge to get started with this. And some here this morning, you may be, as uh, I think it was Karen was saying, uh, on the spectrum of, of, of excitement, you may be really encouraged and excited after this week, and others, you may arrived this morning kind of either feeling left out or discouraged because you tried something and didn't work out so well. And part of the reason we wanted to reformat the message this week was we want to move forward together, all of us. We want to slow down and say, church, we are in this together to be a congregation, a body that's seeking the Lord together that's seeking to grow in our knowledge of God and our hunger for him and for his purposes together. We want to be a church that fasts together and prays together and that moves forward together. So we didn't want to just sort of move on quickly from this week. We're actually going to have an opportunity through this message to just keep stirring and chewing on the same themes that we've been in for the last week. And I'll just tell you, for me personally, it's been a very encouraging week. I think we had... 
altogether something like 14 different prayer meetings, and, and there were anywhere from 10 people to 160 people present for those times. It's been so encouraging to, to be with people crying out to God, to be in these multi-generational settings. I've loved singing uh, uh, the songs we sang, but especially Wednesday sitting in the lobby upstairs. I love singing happy birthday to Zoe her four, on her fourth birthday at the end of that, that prayer meeting. I've been affected by the prayers one of the brothers, I remember, I think it was Tuesday night, he prayed, Lord, why is it so hard to not eat for one day, but so easy to kind of forget about you for a day? And that, oh, just the Spirit's been, been working that in my heart because I see myself in that. God has been increasing our sensitivity to him and his purposes. God has been, I think, exposing where innocent pleasures, good things have pushed out a hunger for God. And so for Leslie and I, as we've turned, we said, we're going to turn the TV off for a week. And we found several different points in there where it's like ready to go to the TV. I started getting a cold, wasn't feeling good one, one evening. And it's like, that would have been my comfort and refuge. And I'm realizing that's become a comfort and a refuge in a, in a way that actually isn't helpful. And it isn't actually as comforting and as, as restorative as I think it really is. So where do we go from here? I believe let me, let me say this as, as helpfully and clear as I can. I believe God is stirring something up amongst us. I believe the Spirit is at work in a unique way. I have been a Christian for a long time. I love church. I've been in church for many decades. I, I don't think I've ever been a part of a week of, of, of concerted drawing near to God like the week that I've just been a part of. And I'm so grateful. And, and, and I want for us to, to, to stay in what the Spirit is, is doing. So in consulting with several elders through the week, we just sensed that the Spirit was leading us to, to shift the message today to Acts 1.8. We always want God's Word to set the course for us. And so, as an aside, what happens to the Galatians message I was going to preach this week? Well, we couldn't push it off to next week because next week Charles Shannon, the guest speaker, is coming and he's got the next message uh, uh, already that he's, he's working on. So Galatians three fifteen to 22, I've written up a brief sort of overview of that passage and it'll come out on Thursday in our RGC Connect as a midweek musing. But today, we don't have a sort of a, a tactical five-point plan for where we go from here. We just want to just continue to think about the Lord and, and particularly the ministry of the Spirit as we move forward into 2024. And so Acts 1-8 is going to sort of set the course for us to remember what time it is, where we live in history, and also to look to the Spirit in some specific ways for his power and empowering presence. So I want to read Acts 1-8 with you, and then I'm going to uh, back up from there and read Acts 1-6-8 so you can get the setting. But Acts 1-8, here's the focus for the message this morning. Jesus speaking to his disciples shortly before his ascension. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Okay, now once more with a little context, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, Jesus with his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know 
times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a a different kind of message and a different message and was planned that I feel my weakness in this moment. But I know that you love to reveal your power in weakness. Who is weak that we are not weak? We acknowledge our weakness and our humble dependence upon you even by pausing to pray in this moment. So, oh, great triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you draw near to us now? Would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to the Word, to the ministry of the Spirit through the Word, that we might be joyful witnesses for Christ. For his glory we pray. Amen. So, after this week of prayer and fasting, where do we go from here? Well, just a couple cues, signals from Acts 1.8. First, let's remember what time it is. See, the question that the disciples asked was a calendar question. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a calendar question. What time is it? And, and if you put yourselves in, in, in their shoes, you can kind of understand why they'd ask a question like that. It's a pretty reasonable question. Jesus has been teaching them about his kingdom. He did that throughout his ministry, but after his, his resurrection, he's particularly been teaching them about his kingdom. And they know he's the king. He comes announcing the kingdom as the king. And it would have been understandable if they would have thought, okay, we kind of didn't get a lot of what was going on there, but now we know he's risen from the dead. And so maybe now it's time, kind of like maybe he's like a second David, how, you know, David was anointed to be king, but then he went through a lot of testing and trials. And then finally he becomes king. And then there's this wonderful exaltation, not only of David, but of the nation of Israel. And maybe the disciples are thinking, this must be it. This is the time for Israel to be exalted among all the nations and Jesus to take his place on the throne. So they were probably expecting a, a, a political ascension for Jesus and then the, the, the fortunes of the nations to ascend with him. And, and Jesus redirects their question. He says, look, it's not for you to know the timing of these things, but here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to be focused on. And he directs their attention, not to the fortunes of Israel, but to the power of the Holy Spirit. What he's teaching them here is that there are some things that they can't know about God's calendar and some things that they can. What can they know about what time it is? What can we know about what time it is? So, I want us just to think really big picture for a moment. Think about viewing 5200 Ox Road from the space station. Little ball, globe, planet Earth. Think about this humongous high view, not just of Earth, but of history. Let's think really big picture. In Friday's devotional, and I really appreciated the daily devotionals that came out this week, Mike Yang 
pointed us to Revelation 21.3, where it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as his God. Oh, don't we long for that day. That's the end. God's people, in God's place, the new Jerusalem, new creation, in his presence for all eternity. And if you think about it, that's the end. That actually sounds a lot like the beginning because the Bible opens, Genesis 1 and 2, with God's people in God's place, Eden, paradise, and no hindrance in their relationship. They were actually in God's presence. God walked in the cool of the garden with them. Now, we're not at the beginning, nor are we at the end, are we? We're somewhere in between. Where are we? See, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden for their mutiny against God, they and their descendants lived on God's earth, but no longer in God's presence. There was this separation that their sin had brought about, but God had a plan to be able to bring a people back to be with him, to be in his presence. And that plan is unfolding in the Old Testament until the spectacular turn of events when the Son of God parachutes onto earth, gathering disciples, dying on a cross, rising again, and then ascending to heaven where he pours out the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1.8, it's moments before that ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling the disciples something about the calendar. He's telling them that God is turning the page. The page of redemptive history is just now turning, and the Spirit of God, God the Spirit, is coming to dwell with his people and in his people. God is in this reclamation project to have a people to be with him, forever. Christ has been enthroned and exalted as king, and now the Holy Spirit is poured out. What's the agenda? This is the time that we live in. What time is it? The agenda is this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, O disciples, go and be proclaimers, heralds, witnesses of King Jesus. Now, this was obviously given to the 12 disciples, but they're long gone. The work hasn't been finished. The proclamation is still continuing, and that ministry of heralding and witnessing has been passed on to disciples like us. Why? Think about this from God's perspective. God is on a mission to gather a people to dwell with him in his new creation forever. And he's raising up an army of witnesses to get that word out. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Come be part of this family, as we heard Haley just mention. So what time is it? We need to know what time it is. This is the time when Christ is enthroned as king at God's right hand. And the Spirit is empowering you and me to spread this good news far and wide. And so let me ask this morning, how are you responding to that news? See, we're all hearing the same message this morning, but I want to ask you, who is your king? Is King Jesus 
your king? Or is someone else ruling your life? We like to think that we're in control of our lives. We like to think that we can manage what's happening. But the reality is we don't choose where we're born, who our parents are, where we grew up. There's so much that we can't control in our lives. And the things that we can control, we're actually, if we're slow down enough and think about it, we're not really as nearly as good as we think we are. If we're really honest, we like to blame all the problems in our lives on someone else. But if we're really honest, we know that we... We make our own contribution, don't we? We know we do things even when we know they're wrong. And we know we do things that can be shameful. Left to ourselves, we all have the same problem. We've chosen the wrong king. I ask you this morning, who is really king of your life? Life will go best with you if you're in charge is the oldest lie in the universe. And the sorry condition of our world shows what happens when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. To become a Christian is to humbly admit that we've stolen the crown from God and put it on our own heads. Repentance means coming to Jesus for forgiveness and coming under his wise and loving, and sovereign, powerful rule. And I ask you this morning, have you done that? Are you ready to do that? I'm heralding the good news that there's still time to come under the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because that's the time we live in. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? We remember what time it is. And second, we look to the Spirit for power. Church, as we come into 2024, let us look to the Spirit for power. Look back in the text, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you were here at the end of the year, Dr. Scott Redd came and preached a message from the Old Testament, and he told us how the Old Testament at the end, it sort of collapses under its own weight. Why? Because people didn't have the power to live the way God called them to live. So Jesus comes, dies on a cross, rises again, ascends to heaven, and pours out the Spirit so that God's people can have the power to walk out godly lives. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded of the author that I've read who says the Holy Spirit is like the Cinderella of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's the one who gets forgotten and left behind every time. And I sadly too often do that in my own life. And so this morning we want to remember the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit and what the power of the Spirit is intended to accomplish. I'm going to just highlight three things for us. There are many ways the Holy Spirit empowers believers to live the Christian life. There's much more that can be said, but I want to highlight three that I think are uniquely relevant for our church at this time. How does the Holy Spirit 
empower us? What are we looking to the Spirit for power for? Well, first, simply this, to treasure Christ above all things. To treasure Christ above all things. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and focus on himself. Where the Spirit is most active is where Christ is most exalted. One author says the Holy Spirit has a spotlight ministry, and he doesn't shine the spotlight on himself. He points the spotlight on Jesus. That's what we're being told here. The Spirit is empowering people not to be witnesses to the Holy Spirit, but to be witnesses to Christ. Now, those, those original disciples, they were actual physical eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And when they were filled with the Spirit, there's this wonderful before and after. If you read the Gospels and you see what the disciples were like, and then you read Acts from chapter 2 forward and you see what the disciples were like, they're like completely different people. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. All of a sudden, they begin to understand who Jesus is and why he died and why he rose again and how the scriptures all point to him. All of a sudden, instead of arguing with each other and jockeying for position with each, with each other, they're serving one another. And they're, instead of being fearful, they're powerfully and boldly proclaiming Christ, even to the extent that many of them will die as martyrs. That's the difference the power of the Holy Spirit makes. And it, it, it all stems from treasuring Christ above all things. In Jesus, those disciples found the pearl of great price. The one who, of whom they could say, I give everything to have him. Have we found Christ that precious too? Can we say with Paul, oh, by the power of the Spirit, may this be our statement too. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, this wasn't just theoretical. He was willing to suffer everything as loss, count everything as loss. But then it actually happened. Here's the test. What happens when you actually lose everything? Here's what he says. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I blew it. I made a big mistake. No. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, church, by the end of 2024, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if each one of us could nod our head and say, oh, Christ has become a greater treasure to me this year than he was in January. May the Spirit empower us to treasure Christ above all things and increasingly so. Second, <clears throat> excuse me, may the Spirit empower us to fast and pray. Now, where's that in Acts 1.8? I don't see that there. Well, of course, fasting and prayer aren't in this text, but as we saw last week, Jesus says, look, as long as the bridegroom's with them, there's no reason for the wedding guests to fast. But once he's taken away, that's the time for fasting. What time is it? It's the time when Jesus has take, been taken away. And it's the time for fasting. And what we're learning, what's becoming more clear to me in the last week is that fasting and prayer actually work together together. 
Vince wrote in Monday's devotional, when combined, when combined, prayer and fasting can help us draw near to God with more urgency. That's a good word. Fasting and prayer work together to create an urgency in our drawing near to God, in our hunger for him, in our awareness of our need for him. My dad had this old Subaru called a Baja. You ever seen one of those? It was like half car and half pickup truck. And it had this little tiny engine, but it had a turbocharger on it. And there's this big hill where my parents live. And so when, uh, when my sister's kids, my dad's grandkids, were with them in, in the car, they'd say, they'd be going up that hill and they'd say, turbo it, grandpa, turbo it. And he'd hit the gas and that thing would shoot up the hill. I think fasting is kind of like turboing prayer. So turbo it, church, turbo it. When we fast and pray, it helps us increase our hunger for God by revealing our need for God. Our physical hunger reminds us and informs us of how spiritually hungry we actually are. Fasting and prayer are ways of expressing our humble dependence upon God. And he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we fast, when we voluntarily abstain from food or some other good gift from God, we announce our holy dissatisfaction with the state of our souls, with the state of our church, with the state of our world. We're saying, come, Lord, bring your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done. John Piper writes in his book, A Hunger for God, there is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I wonder how many of us could say you've been experiencing some of that awakening this week. Well, let, if that's the case, let's, let's keep going. It can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast, this much, O oh God, I want you. Can we say that as a church this morning? Oh, God, this much I want you. More than TV or food or social media or YouTube or whatever it is. This new fasting we heard Jesus announce in last week's sermon, it's empowered not by us trying really, really hard, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you got going fasting last week, in a new way, I, I want to encourage you. That's, that's great. And if you didn't get going fasting, maybe you still can. And if you tried it and it didn't work out, that's no problem. Let's take some ground this week. Let's keep going. I want to encourage you. I think fasting and praying is a lot like reading your Bible. It really helps to have a plan, to have a routine, to find a regular, recurring way to do it. It also helps to do this in community, as Justin reminded us in his meditation this week. We do these things together. So I want to encourage you to find a partner for mutual edification and encouragement and accountability and, and establish a routine. Let's keep going together. We don't have any formal plans right now for another day or week or month of whatever of fasting and prayer, but you know, we really do want to hear from you about your experience and we really do want to wait on the Lord because we do want to keep going in a formal way, fasting and praying together. But before we 
create new plans or announce new plans. We want to really consider what's happened and what's the Spirit saying to us. So you're going to be receiving a, a, a survey about your experience. We want to encourage you to, to fill that out so that we can continue to seek the Lord together and discern when might be a good time for us in the future to fast and pray some more together. Let's become a church that's empowered by the Spirit to fast regularly in order to increase our hunger for God and his purposes. And finally, let's look to the Spirit for power to be Jesus' witnesses. Back to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. They were in Jerusalem when that was said to them. So they were going to be his witnesses right there where they were. Judea was the region surrounding Jerusalem, local area. Samaria was the next region to the north, the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, and still after all these years of reading that verse, it can be scary to me. The guilt meter can just go off the charts the minute I read that verse. And all I can think about is my failures. And I can hear something like, look, you're supposed to be my witness. Now stop goofing off and get going doing it. That's how I can hear that. But that's not how this works. First, this isn't a command. It's a promise. You will be my witnesses. It's a prediction and a promise. And you know, witnesses don't need to be original. The idea on the witness stand in the trial isn't to make stuff up and be original. The idea on a witness stand is to tell the facts of what you've seen. You tell what you observed. That's all witnesses do. So we share the story of Jesus as preserved for us by the original eyewitnesses in Scripture. And we share the story of Jesus as we've experienced it personally brought home by the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, as we fast and pray, the Spirit may just open new opportunities for being witnesses. These can go together. I had an example of that I think this week. I have a friend who's, <clears throat> excuse me, befriended an immigrant from the Middle East. And my friend has been meeting with this lady for about a year. They meet up kind of once every month or so. And they've had lots of conversations. My friend's had very little, virtually no opportunity to talk about her own faith. So this last week, they were together just doing the same kind of thing that they usually do. And, and this, this lady asked my friend and said, you're a Christian. Do you, do you wash up before you pray? Because we, we do. We wash. We have to wash before we pray. And, and my, my friend said, well, no, actually, I, I don't do that. Because as Christians, we believe our, our problem of uncleanness, it isn't on the outside. It's on the inside. And, you know, that's actually why Jesus came, was to make us clean from the inside out. That was about all. That was all that happened. The lady didn't respond in any particular way. But in a year of meeting up, that was the first time my friend was able to actually talk about Jesus. I wonder, was that a coincidence that that happened last week during a week of prayer and fasting? I don't know. But I say, let's keep praying and fasting. Let's keep seeking the Holy Spirit's power to be his witnesses.
Church, I want to ask this year, could we pray together? Could you bring into your prayer life tomorrow, this week, and this year, two simple requests? First, that we can be faithful witnesses to Christ. That when God creates those opportunities, that the Spirit would empower us to just be faithful, to open our mouths and talk about what we've seen. Could we pray for that? Could we pray that we can be faithful witnesses to Christ? And second, hear me on this. Kenneth has been talking about this with the elders, and it's, it's getting in my heart. It's stirring me. Church, could we pray that as a congregation, we could see conversions in the coming year? Nobody here can save someone else. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But the Holy Spirit can do that. How do we know? We're living proof. He did it with us. And could we pray, not only that we could be faithful in proclaiming Christ, but that the Spirit would work and actually save people, that we could have the joy of seeing people cross the line from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from death to life, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God? Could we pray that that kids that are right now downstairs in Grace Kids could come to faith? Kids in 515, teenagers, could we pray that international students, students over on the campus, could we pray that people that were sitting next to it work, people that we talk to in our extended families, people that live in our neighborhoods, people that we go to school with, could we pray that this time next year some of those people might be sitting here with us having been saved and baptized, come into the kingdom of God and into our church as well. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't you love to see that? Let's pray for that. Could we pray together as a congregation that we might be faithful witnesses to Christ and that we might see conversions, that we might see people crossing the line to come to faith. You know what? I'm going to just pause and just let's just pray together right now for that. Oh, God, we pray. Spirit of God, I sense your presence even in this moment. And just respond to what you're stirring amongst us. Today, tomorrow, this coming week, this coming month, oh God, as you provide opportunities for us, would you enable us to open our mouths and faithfully and clearly speak the word of Christ to people around us? Would you empower us to be faithful witnesses? There's somebody here is going to have an opportunity tomorrow, Tuesday, this coming week. Would you empower that person in that moment and give them courage to remember they're not on their own. You're here with us. And oh God, as heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved, would you give Redeeming Grace Church the privilege of rejoicing in seeing Lost people saved in 2024. God, would you do that not for our glory, but for your name, that you might fill heaven with the people that we see and encounter on a daily basis. Oh, God, we pray for this. 
for your namesake. Amen.